Ladies and gentlemen, it is another Friday night here on the Eastern Observer. The primetime rundown presented to you by Black Cats NYC comes to you live from New York here. Ian Schreier, Rob DeLuca, Larry Pertakowitz. I'm Joey Jersinka. Cannot thank you all enough for coming here again uh, for a 7 o'clock hour show. And for all of those that are wondering why we're on an hour later, well, fellas and everyone, all of our guests and viewers, look outside. It is still a little sunny outside or even a little cloudy or whatnot. Uh, we want to be able to, you know, have you all with us after you come inside from playing. You know, that's what this summer is going to be all about. Uh, you know, we're almost there and uh, we hope that you are with us in the new seven o'clock hour moving forward. Cannot wait uh, to bring you all of the latest sports updates from 7 o'clock onward here on Friday nights on the Eastern Observer. Ian Schreier, how are you, sir? Good to see you. And uh, how was your week? And thank you for filling in, as always, uh, last week in my absence. No, not, not a problem. Happy to host. And thanks again to uh, Nick Diamandis for coming on and uh, uh, and serving as a, co as a uh, guest co-host last week. I thought his uh, basketball knowledge was exceptional and really helped uh, contribute in advance of the uh, leading into the final four that weekend in the national championship game. But thank oh, you for yeah. that, uh, Joey, but uh, everything's been great. Everything's going well. And uh, I'm just ready to dive into this past week of a uh, sport of what's happened in sports. Rob DeLuca, so much to talk about this week. I mean, you even said it when you retweeted the tweet that we had posted that there are some hashtags there from hockey, but we're not going to get to that right away. But I don't know. Are you happy? Are you sad? We're not going to ask you the whole thing, but just give us a little headliner. We'll get to it when we get there. Right. <laughs> and let the tone of my voice speak for that. He's still, as well. he's still, he's, he's still grieving over Travis Zajac. 15 well, well, uh, well, I said we'll get to it. When <laughs> there, we've, got, we've got so many other great topics to get to tonight. It's a great show. We got our man, Larry Protakowicz. He's back better than ever and we're ready to have another great friday larry how are you man good to see you and thank you so much listen, for coming on here and being our fourth rotational as always listen thank you so much for having me all i can say is baseball is back we got fans in the stands i was at opening day yesterday at city field it was great to be there well now you know what that's actually a perfect way to lead in here and let's talk a little bit about opening week and right now what we have seen opening week there has been plenty of injuries there's been plenty of oohs and ahs in terms of Mets fans and Ian is one of them uh we've heard <laughs> we have heard a lot about we've heard a lot about the the bullpen We've heard a lot about the starters. We've heard a lot about Michael Conforto being overrated from someone here uh, from, you know, from to the guy that way. Um, so I want to start with you, Larry, because you were at opening day. First off, how was it to be back in a stadium with fans? Tell me, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, roughly about, uh, let's say, 9,000 9, fans were there. Yeah, it was, it was. I believe it was just under nine thousand fans. Yeah, but you know what? It it felt like the place was packed. Now, the one thing the Mets did, and I'm not sure if other teams are doing this, they were still playing the the uh, the fan noise out of the speakers, which I thought was a little too much. Yeah. Um. Yeah. You know, because the fans themselves were pretty loud. Um. But it 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 felt great. You know, you you go online, you show your proof of vaccination or your proof that you had your test, and from that point on, besides wearing a mask. It felt like you were at a regular game. 
Yeah, that's really good. And, you know, it, it's it's very funny before we get to Ian and DeLuca here where um, we obviously, for those that do know, the Eastern Observer is partnered with the New York Professional Scouts Association. I spoke with a couple of scouts earlier on today, and they were saying that it felt like a like a Thursday night game. Like because one guy's a Yankees fan uh, and actually, excuse me, a Yankee scout. Um, and he felt like it was like a Thursday night game against the Tampa Bay Rays, uh, where, you know, 10,000 people are in the building and no one really cares. You just have a whole bunch of suits there and whatnot. Um, and did it feel like that, Larry, where it was just, you know, a, a really, um, you know, like a Thursday afternoon game where not many people are there and, you know, just kids are hanging out? You know what? For, for City Field, it felt like that Thursday, twelve o'clock camp yeah. day games yeah. that you see in July and August. But for the Marlins, having less than ten thousand fans, they felt right at home. <laughs> Ian Schreier, uh, let's hear let's hear your side of things. Where uh, let's get your reaction to the first week, or actually the first four games for the New York Mets, because. Their opening series against the Washington Nationals was postponed due to COVID nineteen, and uh, and the Nationals messing it all up for <laughs> the Mets and really for you know for themselves too. Sure, I mean I think you could say that part of it after uh, having that opening series canceled and the fact the Mets didn't play for a week and a half was a lot of that Philly series might have been to shake off the rust. I mean, yeah. uh, you know, one thing that doesn't appear to change is the fact uh, that Jacob deGrom, even after acquiring Francisco Lindor, still can't get run support. But look, it's, 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 it's one start. Um, it's, it's one start, but um, no, I, I have my, I mean, look, we're a week in, I don't want to sit here and, 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 and throw the kitchen sink at the Mets. I just have my concerns. And these, these were concerns I suggest, you know, I, I, I threw out there on our opening day show and, um, I said that this team really needs to start out hitting well. Um, one of those guys has actually been hitting well to start the season. That's Pete Alonso, um, who was a very slow starter last year in the shortened season. Um, obviously, you already mentioned Michael Conforto. I mean, he stranded in the last game of the series against Philly when they were down 4 nothing early. Um, he stranded, I believe it was a total of 11 runners. There were maybe nine runners on base in that in that game. And if not getting hit by the pitch, they might – who knows if they end up – or excuse me, if he doesn't end up leaning into the pitch. Um, who knows if the Mets end up winning yesterday. So um, th there's a lot of concerns there. There's a lot of concerns about the bullpen because a lot of Mets fans felt that Sandy Alderson did not invest enough um, into improving that bullpen. I think he was still asking for a lot from – Guys like Dylan Batances, whose velocity was down in spring training, Jerry's Familia, who just who, who just overthrows cons consistently. I mean, the one guy that's looked good um, has been, and he pitched yesterday was Edwin Diaz. Um, yeah. I mean, Trevor May had the one bad appearance on opening on opening night, but has looked a little bit better. Uh, Miguel Castro has actually looked pretty solid, but other than that, I mean, they they've got a lot um, of, of question marks. Um, I'm happy they're two and two. I think they have the right pitchers set up now with. DeGrom going Saturday and Stroman going Sunday to try and pull off a sweep. But this team has to figure out, uh, in terms of hitting, has to be more consistent. Um, you know, how many games are we going to continue to use the excuse? They have to get the rust off. They have to get the rust off. You just need to start hitting. That's why you acquired Lindor to, to, to lengthen that lineup. And then on top of that, you need uh, guys in the seventh, eighth, and ninth inning, especially with Seth Lugo out, that's gonna, that are going to shut the door. The thing that I find crazy, Ian, is that you had said that it, that the guy that actually looked decent was Edwin Diaz. Uh, I mean, this is a guy that was essentially ran out of town last year, or could, or you know, just because of everything that has gone on. Steve Cohen wanted to give him another chance, and you know, they couldn't really find a good trade partner. Uh, 
I mean, that's pretty good that that he's a part of that sentence where, you know, I'm sure you didn't think you'd be saying that he was actually a bright spot in the Mets bullpen uh, well, to start the season off. Well, look, I mean, it's let's put him into a situation. I mean, look, he came into a high leverage situation. He came into a tie game and, in, 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 excuse me, trailing um, in the top of the ninth um, and, and, and held uh, down that 2-1 game. And obviously in the bottom of the ninth, McNeil led off with the home run and, and everything else um, ensued uh, after that. But um, yeah, it's nice to say that, but it's one game. Look, I mean, Edwin Diaz, I think last year pitched on opening day, pitched well. And then the next day against the Atlanta Braves gave up that uh, home run that Saturday to Marcelo Zuna and it all fell apart after that. So I want to be optimistic about Diaz. I want to be optimistic about that bullpen. But right now, that bullpen um, looks at least four games in. It's still early, but looks like one of the worst in baseball. Ooh, wow. You know, it was crazy because we actually just heard uh, a couple of hours ago when the Yankees lost badly to the Tampa Bay Rays that their pitching numbers and their ERA and their, uh, you know, strikeouts per nine innings is one of the worst in all of baseball, if not the worst, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, Rob DeLuca can can vouch for me on that yeah, one. But it's, sticking, it's, it's bad. But, but sticking to the Mets, though, and sticking to opening week as a whole, Rob DeLuca, what have you noticed uh, throughout really opening week? Any oohs and ahs or even anything that really might have surprised you or uh, things that really are not a surprise? Uh, with the Mets specifically or just all of just baseball? generally baseball. If you want to go sure. to the Mets, then you go right ahead. No, no, I'm actually going to go in a different direction here. Go back to the AL side, go to the AL West specifically. And let's oh. talk about the underperformance of the Oakland athletic. Yeah. Yeah. What on earth is happening out there? I mean, this is a team that was supposed to, I mean, look, it's only been a week, but they're at the bottom of the barrel in just a week. They, this is a team that was supposed to be staying with the Houston Astros all all season long here. Yeah. And right now they are off to a terrible, terrible start. One in seven. One in seven. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. One, yeah. Seven in a row. And it's, 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 it's not like, a good thing. No, it's, it's not a good thing. It's like, where's the end in sight? And honestly, that's definitely my biggest surprise on who's underperforming in terms of who's overperforming right now. I mean, look, again, it's only been a week, but nobody expected the Baltimore Orioles to start out the way they did, picking up, sweeping the Boston Red Sox. I mean, that could yeah. also be a tale to the season that the Boston Red Sox are going to have. Yeah. But but then Boston bounced back against Tampa Bay. So, you know, a lot of things up in the air on the AL East side. But Baltimore did manage to take one of three from the Yankees. It took a few extra innings. The, the all-glorious and almighty extra base – second base runner rule in extra innings, my favorite. <laughs> and if you can't hear the sarcasm in my voice – I don't know what to tell you because it's the worst thing that's ever happened to baseball. Let me tell you this. I think that the biggest problem that we've seen thus far is the World Series hopeful San Diego Padres who may have lost Fernando Tatis to the ye for the year. Um, and they're not saying that. They're not saying that at all. But the way that the shoulder was separated, essentially, um, this is an injury that could last about six months. Um, let's do the math. Six months is from today is October 9th. And, um, that's that, that essentially puts them in the playoffs, that's playoffs. Or, or, or in the ALDS or in the NLDS, excuse me. Um, so that's not really a good sign to start. And there were also some rumblings to that with that injury. Um, some players might not come back to yeah. their, to their yeah. fullest potential 
from that injury, Larry or Ian, were there any others that you guys saw or even to elaborate on Fernando Tatis, Larry, to start, you know, again, you were at opening day. Anything with the Marlins, anything else that you see as the diehard baseball baseball fan that you are? Well, I know Ian has talked about uh, Conforto. And, yeah. you know, we, we had that play to end the game. I was out in the Coca-Cola corner. I, I, I thought it was strike three uh, from there. Um, and yeah. I, I was just a surprise. We had to look at the screen for the challenge to see what was going on. Um, and I've since heard the call from Gary, Keith, and Ron, and they showed why they're the best in baseball because they disagreed completely with how yeah. that game ended. And I give them all the credit in the world for that. But you know what? You look at the replays. He might have leaned in. I think it shows that Comforto has no confidence right now. Yeah. That he could. He was afraid to get a hit in that situation or to try. So he leaned in. That's my opinion on that. But hopefully he can get out of the uh, this funk because they're going to need him if they're going to compete. Um, you want to talk about other teams? The the Philadelphia Phillies. Yeah. Right. What what yeah. their what their bullpen uh, has been able to do. Um, all right, fine. You know, the Mets had a little bit of rust, let's say, coming in. You know, the Mets' bullpen isn't that good. They swept the Atlanta Braves, and their bullpen shut down the Atlanta Braves yeah. before they got in. And the yeah, Braves are – Yeah. Right. Base, the Braves are, are arguably – let's say they're the second best team in the National League, right? Because if you want to say the Dodgers are the best team, I get that, right? But Atlanta's good, and then they went and took two out of three, right? We was two out of three from Washington. And they uh, swept yeah. the uh, they swept the seven inning doubleheaders, right? So Atlanta is still the team we thought they were, um, but it shows how talented Philly is to at least start the season and to be able to be five and one at this point. That's pretty good in a division where everyone is going to beat on each other. Yeah, it's really crazy to see all of these crazy starts, and you know what? It's a perfect follow up here for Ian Schreier because. He did bring up about how he's not buying Cincinnati, and obviously, you know, it, it's very early on. But they're they they are uh, a very quiet five on a quiet five and five and one start. I had to get my my words out of my mouth. <laughs> That's they're okay. off to a very hot start, nice and early. Without without two games, obviously, they did not have Nick Castellanos. Uh, one of their best hitters, and they're still five and one. Uh, flash in the pan, Ian, or uh, what do you think here? Well, through six games, um, I actually have them on my overperforming list right now, and it's hard not to see why. Uh, they do play in, in, in my opinion, one of the worst divisions in baseball, just because there's look. Kudos to Nolan Arenado um, on uh, op home opener in St. Louis, hitting the uh, the game winning home, excuse me, the game winning home run in the uh, bottom of the eighth, and getting the curtain call in his first uh, home yeah. game in St. Louis. But yeah. um, it's not sustainable um, when you're hitting 318 as a team through six games. Um, yeah. I, that's just not sustainable. Uh, Luis Castillo, his ERA right now, I mean, we're only, what, six games in, but two starts. I mean, his ERA right now is over five. Sonny Gray right now is on the IL. We had a lot of questions coming in about the Reds after Trevor Bauer departed. Um, and then the back end of that rotation, I mean, punk, uh, I'm not even sure who's in the back of that rotation right now for Cincinnati. So yeah. um, I don't think that hitting three 18 as a team through six games. Like I know uh, one of their real nice young players, their second baseman, Jonathan India is hitting like four, no, excuse me, four seventy six. I mean, that's not sustainable. <laughs> it's not, yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, look, when the Reds acquired uh, Nick Castellanos and Mike Moustakis, I thought they, um, 
over a year ago now. I thought those were two solid moves for that team. That was a team that looked like they were just trying to make getting into the playoffs, but Eugenio Suarez is struggling again. It, yeah. Like I said, I just don't know um, if it's sustainable. Um, my other overperforming team or outperforming team, whatever you want to call it, um, to um, to piggyback off what Rob was saying, uh, was Baltimore. But on the underperforming side, um, I want to elaborate a little bit on um, the Oakland A's. Uh, yeah, yeah, they're one seven. But do you know who their leading hitter is right now? It's Jed Lowry. Their leading hitter right now in the Oakland A's. Old, old man Lowry? Their, their leading hitter is yeah. Jed Lowry. Uh, I think they, they re- they've run into a little bit of bad luck. They've, they've, their first eight games have come against a four-game series against the Houston Astros, who you know is going to be the team that's going to contend with them for the division. Hey, the Angels are out to a nice start, too. I'm not going to discount them. but um, And then they had a four-game series now just with the Dodgers. So um, I don't think that they've gotten an easy pass so far, but I also expect it a little better. Joey's um, got something to say, though. I can see it in his face. But um, <laughs> but uh, one in seven, I, 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 again, I think they'll come back from it eventually. But, yeah, this is a very, very – uh, surprising start, at least offensively, for the uh, for the A's. The fact that guys like Matt Olson and Matt Chapman are not hitting, and 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 a team like the Braves, in terms of like putting them on the underperforming list. I mean, they're hitting 173 right now as a team. That's that that's not going to hold up. I mean, this they're going to be fine in the long run. They've got the pitching once they get healthy. Um, the Braves right now are on my underperforming list, but they'll be fine. Yeah, you know, you brought up a player that is really in in these parts a New York Mets legend in Jed Lowry. Yes, yes. Uh, and, and and I need to ask Larry this question because you know I see in the in your. Uh, you, the the upper left corner, uh, or just to the left of you, you have a reserved parking for Mets fans only sign. And you know, y- you're a Mets fan. You're a diehard Mets fan. I see it. I I've seen it on on our show before. And to hear those words come out of your friend's mouth uh, <laughs> that Jed Lowry is overperforming right now, and really the leading hitter in Oakland. What does that say to you about? <laughs> I don't even know why I don't even know how to finish that sentence. What is that? I, how, how does that make you feel? Does your blood boil when you hear something like that? Well, obviously the Mets didn't play the first three games, right? So I text Ian and a friend of ours with a little Mets chat. And I said, there's a possibility that Jed Lowry will get more hits for <laughs> Oakland tonight than he did with his career <laughs> with the Mets. Um, you know, Brody signs him, former agent, uh, Two years he's there, um, knee brace. All of a sudden, he's not in the Mets anymore. The knee brace is gone. He, he's st- he's a starter, hitting the ball well. I mean, throw your hands up in the air. Um, you know, it, at least that's something the Wilpons did, you know, as opposed to – I don't think it's something Cohen will do, hopefully. <laughs> um, it's, it's, it's sick. It really is. <laughs> so it, it's, it, it's wild to really say that because – um, you know, I know that there is, I was actually going to ask you if that really grinded your gears, but I know there's something directly behind you that really grinds your gears, but we'll yes. get to that in a little bit. Um, <laughs> before we or once uh, before we conclude our MLB segment, fellas, um, this afternoon, the Dodgers placed Cody Bellinger on the IL with a calf injury. We don't know how long he'll be out, but because of the Dodgers depth, uh, you know, Bellinger obviously is a massive piece to their team. He will be out a minimum of 10 days with that calf injury. We'll see uh, what what shuffling they do uh, in the outfield since uh, they also do not have their their backup right fielder anymore who was able to really move around and Jock Peterson 
who's now out in Chicago uh, with the Cubs. So uh, I don't really know what pieces they've got now where they'll be able to shuffle things around, but they're uh, they're, they're 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 pretty thin uh, in in the in the batting area. Um, or in on the batting side of things, on the offensive side of things. Um, so we'll see what happens there. Um, and also defensively too, who'll be able to uh, to play center field now with him uh, with him on the in, on the injured list. Going back to the Dodgers though, uh, they did receive their World Series rings today. And uh, guys, what what do we think of them? I mean, uh, I, I think they look uh, you know they look they look pretty decent. Uh, I think the side looks uh, looks pretty nice, pretty ge- pretty generic though, nothing crazy. Um, you know, obviously they, they, they didn't play a whole 162 games, but, um, you know, I guess they earned it. What do you guys think about it? Does it look okay to, you know, they're, fr- they're fresh, you know, I like them. I think, I think they look very good. You know, it's a solid colors. I mean, definitely nice, nice kind of effect to it. Yeah. Thank you for pulling that back up. You yeah. See, you know, they got like the diamond effect going with it. It's very nice. It pops with the silver. It makes it looks really good in Dodgers colors. I mean, personally, I'd love to see it. I was just going to say the same thing, Rob. Like, yeah, I mean, there's really only a couple of teams in baseball where the color on their logo just really pops. And two of those teams off the top of my head are the St. Louis Cardinals and the LA Dodgers. Like, in terms of the red and the blue, both of them, the way they just pop. And uh, as I think Rob said it perfectly, they're just real nice. Yeah, the, the, the 2020 on the side there. That that's very nice with the NL West and everything. The trophy in the middle. That's definitely- right, and then the trophy in gold is nice too. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's solid, definitely solid it, ring overall for being serious. It, say it again. Solid ring overall. For yeah. Yeah. No. Absolutely. It it's definitely something. Uh, and you know everything in here is uh, is in the uh, inside the ring is uh, is colorful as oh, well. That's, that's a brilliant idea. What they did on the inside there. It, Marking off all the series right there. Yeah, the, well, yeah, usually, yeah. well, usually like most teams do that anyway. Line. Just a matter of where they put it. Um, so you know, they, really- they've had so many years to design the ring because they've won so many pennants without a World Series. He's so, got you know, a- okay, so they really they've had a time. <laughs> That is pretty good. That is pretty good. Uh, also, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, the seven eighteen sports update here. Uh, something else too, guys, that is definitely a possibility and most likely uh, a most likely scenario is that the Toronto Blue Jays will most likely be heading back to Buffalo. Uh, yes. They're not going to be playing in, in Dunedin for much longer. Uh, you know, not not because it's you know 110 degrees come July with 100% humidity, but the fact of the matter is is that they're trying to get as close to Toronto as possible. And why not get back to Buffalo? Get back to Solon Field. And uh, and and they're they're just right off the throughway, literally right off the Peace Bridge. So uh, you know, great great ballpark over there, and uh, and they're they're relatively close to home, and they're right now they're working at uh, making it MLB compliant once again. Uh, obviously, they had to take all of that down once uh, once minor league baseball and that reorganization kind of finished. Uh, so now they have to re-put it back up. They were, they thought that they would be able to go back to Toronto. Not the case since the province of Ontario is entering another lockdown. So, uh, most likely guys, we will not be seeing the Blue Jays in Canada this year, unfortunately, but, uh, crazier things have happened maybe down the road, maybe for the playoffs or anything along those lines, maybe get some fans back in the building. But, um, I think they just have to get to Canada first before we, before they even, uh, think about, uh, fans in the building. So uh, that is the 718 sports update here. Um, 
you know, guys, let's keep moving forward here. And we were we were just discussing earlier about how, um, you know, what could possibly grind Larry Protakowicz's gear as being Jed Lowry. But actually, there is somebody else uh, that I believe might actually grind his gears even more. And now let's shift over to the NFL, ladies and gentlemen. And that is now Carolina Panthers quarterback. That is not a Panthers jersey, Larry. Now, is it? It is Sam no, it is not. Donald. It is <laughs> Sam Darnold. So early reactions from a Jet fan who has been living as a Jets, Mets, uh, a Jets and Mets fan. So good Lord help you, Larry, to start. Um, but, you know, your early reactions on seeing what Joe Douglas got for Sam Darnold and what this does for your franchise moving forward. Well, first... I, I want you to know that I, I did not want to trade Sam Donald away. I I think they had a, a, a pile of draft picks. They should have either took Sewell, in my opinion, at two, build up uh, the offensive line, or you trade back, you get you compile more picks, and you build around this guy. Um, he has gotten a raw deal. He has gotten the short end of the stick. He's had terrible coaching. He's had no uh, pieces around him to compliment him, and he's not been given the chance to actually prove uh, that he could be a franchise quarterback. With that said, I think he's got a good uh, set setup for himself in uh, Carolina. He's yeah. got, you know, he's got uh, DJ Moore. He's got McCaffrey. He gets to reunite with Robbie Anderson. Yeah. He's got Rule as uh, his head coach. I think they are setting themselves up to uh, help develop this guy. I and I, I've also read some articles where. Uh, the scouts who scouted him in college for the draft um, a few years ago, they're the ones who still believe that he has the ability to turn this around and you shouldn't look at his uh, stats with the Jets. And that's kind of how I felt. So I get it. Joe Douglas is not tied to Sam Donald, but Joe Douglas now has about 22 draft picks between the 2021 and 2022 draft. In May of 2022, when the when the when the 2022 draft is done, Joe Douglas's fate would have already he's made his last move, and everything that happens after that, we'll see if he's still going to be the GM or not. Because if he can't put together a draft with that many picks in two drafts, it's over for him. Let me so ask I you everything set. Say, let me ask you this, because when we had when we had our NFL free agent special and, you know, we were discussing about how the ownership at some point with Woody Johnson coming back from his tenure uh, as the United Kingdom ambassador, um, you know, under the previous uh, presidential administration, uh, he's now coming back here and now he is taking over the team from his brother, Chris. Um, if I'm not mistaken, Ian and Rob, we were discussing about how the, the ownership at some point, and I know for a fact, I also said it at some point, you have to look at the ownership and we have to kind of point fingers because how many general managers can you go through? Um, I don't even know Larry. And, and again, I, I think that it's a little premature to say that, you know, to see if Joe Douglas, if, if he can strike gold, in those 22 draft picks all the way until May of 22, um, you know, at some point you say to yourself, well, maybe he does strike gold, but maybe at some point, you know, it's not on him if they can't get things going. 
maybe it really is the ownership. Maybe it's the ownership's decision in bringing on certain coaches or, you know, who are the ones signing these paychecks? Well, look, okay. So for example, how, how did Brett Favre become right. quarterback of the Jets? Woody right. Johnson. Right. Um, you know, okay. How, honestly, how did Joe Douglas become GM of the Jets? Adam Gase, you know, which is, which is crazy to think that, right? Um, you know, so ownership under Woody Johnson and under his brother, you know, still, uh, leave a lot to be desired. So, you know, yes, Joe gets a blank slate. It's, it's obviously he's, he's taking Wilson at two, right? But he's got, he's got four in, in the two years, he has four first round picks, three second round picks and three third round picks, you know, but if you look at the Jets draft history, especially over the last decade, they don't draft well. You know, I mean, I, I was trying to look back and there's two in my head of, of the best drafts the Jets uh, had. And that would probably probably be 2006, where they hit with the Brickashaw Ferguson yep. and Mangold. And then obviously you have the 2000 draft, right? Four first round picks, you know, Pennington, Abraham, Ellis. And of course, I'm going to leave out um, one of them. Hold on. Just one decade, Larry? Just one? Right. right, right. I mean... More than one, one decade of bad drafting? Are you sure? Are you sure? I, I, I know. There's, there's YouTube videos dedicated to the Jeff, Jets draft blunders. It's a whole compilation throughout the whole 90s and everything of just passing on the best players to take players that make no sense. They passed on Warren Snap. Well, I was going to say, Rob, that was really, that was really the the – the shining moment, if you want to call it that, no pun intended for college basketball, but that was really the shining moment for the Jets because they, all the fans wanted Warren Sapp, all the fans at the, uh, I think at that point, the uh, the draft was held they at the theater. The and MSP, yeah, yeah, and the reason they didn't take him was because he had a marijuana abuse problem. That was his issue. Yeah. You know, and the right. Jets were like, we're going to steer. We're, I mean, at that point, remember, the owners of the Jets were not Woody and Christopher Johnson. It was Leon Hess. So the, the ownership was a little different, but – um, that still hasn't taken away from the, as I think I mentioned this on the NFL free agency show, it hasn't taken away from the Stephen Hills, the Devin Smiths, the D Milners, the Quentin Copels, uh, you know, right. go right down the list. I mean, it, Milner, it, it, wow. But, but look, even him out there, even, even the year the Jets couldn't screw it up and we can take Peyton Manning. Damn guy goes <laughs> back to college. You know, I mean, yeah, it's, you're right. It, it's, it has been, decades i mean they have a handful of good drafts in their entire history yeah it's it's very tough and especially because you know you recycle these general managers over and over and over and over again it stinks to be a jets fan i'm sorry larry it 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 does it's rough it's it's definitely rough but going back but but going back to sam donald though and his trade to Carolina, Ian, how good is this? Where uh, this this new little one-two punch, where they're most likely going to trade, as per Ian Rappaport, most likely will be trading or at least shopping uh, Teddy Bridgewater. Sam Donald, you figure, will be now the QB one, and Robbie Anderson remains the the wide receiver one. And now he knows that he has uh, some previous history and chemistry with Darnold that maybe would be able and most likely, you know, because that's usually the way it happens with the Jets and Jets fans can probably attest to this, Larry, where usually when they leave New York, they just shine. And do we expect to see that here with Darnold and Robbie Anderson, Ian? 
I, I think he's going to shine, period, in Carolina. I, I mean, I'm rooting for him. Like like Larry said, I agree with every word Larry said. I, honestly, I'm surprised we didn't end up sharing notes because he basically hit on every point that I had that I wrote down. Um, well, that's why you two are best friends. That's true. <laughs> but um, I know Teddy Bridgewater actually wanted out of Carolina, I think, before the Darnold trade took place. So I yeah. think it was just expediting the process a little bit further. But when you look at the Carolina Panthers last year, they were not a bad team. I think they no. were like they finished the year like six and ten. But yep. if Christian McCaffrey was healthy, they are probably contending for that last wild card spot. Now you've got McCaffrey back healthy. You're going to have what two um, DJ Moore was on the shelf for a little bit last year as well. So now you've got DJ Moore. You've got uh, Robbie Anderson, who we obviously had the chemistry with with the Jets. Um, I'm not yet sold on Matt Rule as the head coach. I mean, look, he's entering his second year. I think uh, it's going to still be another year or two before we can uh, really throw the book at him. But yeah, I think he's set up to shine 100%. Look, you've got a you've got a start. You've got an All Pro running back. You've got a couple of solid wide receivers, and I think this is a team that, if everybody's healthy, can contend for a playoff spot. I don't think they're going to you know trounce the. Uh, <clears throat> the Buccaneers for, you know, NFC South supremacy, but they could easily be a wild card team. I mean, if, if, if everything falls where it should for Carolina. Right. And, and that's still a team, the Atlanta Falcons, who, you know, they really have, they're still the same team that they were. And now you have Drew Brees no longer in uh, New Orleans. And we'll see w- yeah. what team New Orleans will be. That maybe if they're a little weaker, it makes their schedule a little easier. Yeah. Which really is a crazy thing to say that, New Orleans is going to be not only a different team, they're Drew Breesless. They've got Jameis Winston again. They've got Taysom Hill again. Uh, you figure Hill is going to be the starter. That's really weird stuff to talk about, really weird stuff to see. Going back to Carolina, though, if I'm not mistaken, don't the Jets play Carolina this year in Carolina? If I'm not mistaken. I'm not sure about I think, not we, have to, I think we have to take a peek at that and, and just I'm on, I'm on it. I'm on it. I, I'm see, on it myself too. And see to, you know, just to see the uh the the laughter no. of that. No. Uh, oh yes, yes. Yes, yes. In Carolina. Yes. In Carolina. Yes. Look at that. That is yes. the case. And they play the Patriots and the Jets out of the AFC East at home. Well, I mean, that's that's really that's really unbelievable stuff. And you know what? I, again, I mean, what what a way again to for this to happen? You know, where um, you know you see a quarterback like this, like Sam Darnold, like Robbie Anderson, these these uh, these guys that have been shipped away and basically driven away. Robbie Anderson, remember we remember last year, Larry when. Uh, and even Ian and DeLuca, when the Jets were trying, he was one of the most coveted wide receivers in the game. And so many people were trying to get him. No one thought that he would ever go to Carolina. And why not when you have so much, dra- uh, so much, um, you know, cap room to spend the money? And you'd figure the Jets were going to be able to do that, but they didn't do that and they let the man walk. Now they trade Darnold away. And uh, I don't know how that competition might be. Uh, whenever it is, we'll find out sometime probably in the next few weeks uh, or even next month when the 21, 2021 campaign comes out uh, following the draft. That's, uh, that, that game's got Thursday Night foot Football written all over it. Oh, yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. <laughs> that game's got Amazon Prime. That is, that is the case. We speak about the draft, though, fellas, because that is in a couple of weeks. 
Uh, really crazy stuff to see that it's already April 9th. It's actually 20 days away. So from yesterday, it was exactly three weeks away. So uh, two weeks and 13 days, if you will. Uh, I want to bring up these oh. these these <laughs> idiots hats, and and oh. the reason why I bring these up is because every year we see different hats for all, all all the all the major organizations here in the United States: Major League Baseball, the NBA, uh, the National Hockey League, and the National Football League. Okay, and we see these different draft hats. We see. Uh, you know, the jerseys with the number one, sometimes with the number two, whether it be, uh, you know, day number two of a draft. We really don't see those much anymore. Um, but just to see these hats and they, the the constant evolution of these draft hats where, again, all of the aforementioned leagues, they present them usually. Obviously, last year was not the case, but they I, I'm guessing they ship them or whatever. Um, they're getting more and more hideous every year. And I know I actually have a few, uh, upstairs, uh, a few Eagles hats, uh, from when I went to a few drafts at radio city and they were pretty disgusting. Then now they're getting even worse because of different technology things and different, you know, I don't know, styles or whatever the case may be. But, you know, Ian, what do you think of this? Is this even wearable? wearable or maybe just throw it in an incinerator maybe but it's, <laughs> i don't think they look any good i mean i think that the one league that always has the freshest hats on draft night is the nba um they, they it always seems like the nba uh has the has the best hats on draft night every time you see you know they they announce each pick and you're like man those hats are nice like why can't why can't why can't the other professional leagues around do it like that yeah. but uh yeah I, I actually have a giants draft hat i think from like the early 2000s that was like half red, half blue, and it said New York Giants all in lowercase uh, text. Like They've gotten worse over the years. Um, they really haven't gotten much better. Um, even though I do love when the um, uh, the Jets, I mean, this isn't so much uh, draft related, but when the Jets uh, rebranded and, and got rid of the, the, uh, the jersey behind Larry and uh, the, trying to pay homage to the uh, the 69 Jets and the, and the jerseys that they wore, but rather bring back, uh, you know, the jerseys from the 80s, uh, which I which I love. I love the fact that it's that right. tiny green colors, and I love the Jets' uh, new branding style. But uh, from a draft hat perspective, no, I, I don't really have too much to add on because I don't think they're all that great. There's not <laughs> yeah, they, a whole lot to say there. They're, they're ugly. They're, they're, they're snapbacks. They look like they're, they're meant to be worn backwards. There are certain hats that are meant to be worn backwards. Those look like them. And what – the hell is the point of that when you've got the team logo on the front? So like, yeah, you're kinda, it's, it's not good. It's very bad. They're very ugly. And you know what? <laughs> There's not much more to say about it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, listen, you, you see them for the, you know, the few days of the draft and that's it. Um, and I oh. guess that's why I guess this is, you know, the, the bad designer in the group saying, Hey, yeah, you can put something together. We'll use it. And how come Jacksonville can't even get the teal on the brim of their hat? They're stuck with black. <laughs> It doesn't even make sense. It doesn't. It doesn't make sense. And kudos to New Era for messing those up. Yeah. But uh, guys, let's keep moving forward here in the world of the National Football League. And uh, for those that do not really know or actually watch the show Jeopardy, may Alex Trebek rest in peace. Uh, but the reason why we bring up Jeopardy on the show is not because of the former show that was hosted by Dan Patrick, Sports Jeopardy. But because 
They are trying to find out in Sony Pictures Studios out in Culver City uh, a brand new host for the late Alex Trebek. So this past week, it was the quarterback in Aaron Rodgers, Green Bay Packers quarterback Aaron Rodgers was a guest host for a week. And there was some uh, little, you know, laughter and kind of a speechless moment in Final Jeopardy where the question was the following. Accepting a Lifetime Achievement Emmy, he said, just take 10 seconds to think of the people who have helped you become who you are. So Aaron Rodgers asked this question to the three contestants on the show. And one contestant had a fantastic answer. uh, And it seemed to be a little bit of a dig on Aaron Rodgers. And it made waves across all the sports platforms and even news platforms. Take a look. Over to our two-day champion on the end, Scott. Did you come up with the correct response? Who wanted to kick that field goal? <laughs> that is a great question. Should be, should be, should be correct. But uh, unfortunately for this uh, this game today, that's incorrect. So with that being said now, obviously we know what that was all about when, uh, you know, everyone's talking about Matt LaFleur and speaking about the field goal kick that should have been a field goal kick. Um, I mean, first off, I was watching it, okay? And uh, Aaron Rodgers is absolutely terrible. Um, He is not good um, as a host. Um, And it simply is not good and we're going to keep it on the sports side of things i think the answer was fantastic by by that contestant and i think that 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 comes with a ton of guts because especially on night number one that's that that's that's some pretty cool stuff look i'm one of the only people that actually defended them kicking the field goal uh, in the nfc championship game Um, i'm not going to go back to january right now but um, look, when it comes to Jeopardy, I'll offer my two cents here. I think Ken Jennings should be the host going forward. I know he's tied okay. up with uh, the other show, The Chase, on a- on ABC. Um, but um, I-, I think he just has such a a presence because maybe he was on this, that stage for six months or whatever it felt like at that point that he didn't yeah. remember games he won. But um, he just has such a presence. He's he's actually quite funny um he's he he really there's not a lot of condescension to him at all um whereas you could tell that like dr oz and aaron Rodgers, they don't look very comfortable up there it's very difficult to you know we 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 take i think we took a lot of alex trebek for granted because of how well he did his job and you look at and i hate to turn this into a jeopardy point but that's what it is um for sure you know, we, we kind of took him for granted because it, it's a lot harder than it looks to just stand there up on a podium and ask questions. Um, you need to have the delivery and you need to have the presence and you need to know how to carry yourself. And that that, that isn't something that's ta- um, that's taught. It's I mean, maybe, you know, or even learned. It's something you're just I think it's just something you're born with. And it's and for, in Alex's case, you know, he, he did it um, not just for Jeopardy, but over game shows for decades on end. Yeah, yeah. No, Ian, you're right. And look, yeah, I, I agree. I think it's you got to be Ken Jennings. Or executive producer Mike Richards. I think Mike Mike Richards yeah. did a phenomenal job hosting Jeopardy. He has game show hosting experience as well, so I think yep. he would be a phenomenal choice as well. It's definitely got to be. It's definitely one of those two at this point, and Jeopardy's just kind of having fun with it at this point with these other guest hosts, and we, we know it's going to end up coming down to one of those two.
Yeah, no, I, I think it absolutely goes down to to one of those two. I mean, I, I, I was a Ken Jennings fan. I mean, look, no one's been on the stage um, besides Alex more than Ken Jennings. So like Ian said, but what makes what made Alex so good was you know, obviously, yes, he has a he has a teleprompter, he has a screen in front of him, but he always made it seem like he actually knew what the answer was. Yeah. You know, it was like, ooh, I it's think true. you're looking for this. You know, and it's like, oh, okay. You are the smartest guy in the room. Um, so but with regards to Aaron Rodgers, yeah, he was he was pretty bland and you know, now you know why in these State Farm commercials, you know, he's he's not the main guy. You know, it, right. it's the State Farm agent, and then he has his one or two lines. Okay, he takes a shot at Patrick Mahomes with the ketchup. But outside of that, that's all he's got. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Really, really crazy stuff, fellas. Uh, to conclude our NFL segment, guys, um, there's one more free agent that is out there, and this is kind of an impromptu uh, little little thing I want to throw in here. Even though that we are very ahead of schedule here, Richard Sherman is still a free agent out there, and uh, think about it. It is April, and things are slowly getting back to normal in this post-COVID era. Um, normally, guys, Ian, Larry, and Rob, tell me if I'm wrong or not. But usually, uh, you know, voluntary, uh, you know, voluntary OTAs are usually about you know right after the draft, um, and with the draft happening in roughly in in 20 days, literally 20 days, uh, usually happens about like the week after. So you figure roughly about a month from now. Uh, that could happen. And Richard Sherman right now is being linked to the Raiders, to the Cowboys, to the Jets. I mean, does this come to fruition? Where does he go? Um, does Richard Sherman want to go to these three teams that really, you know, the best team in, in those three that we're speaking of would be the Cowboys. And they have so many uncertainties and question marks written all over it. Where do the, where do we think he goes guys? I mean, Look, this is it's 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 weird that one of arguably the best corners in the game is having trouble finding a home because I mean obviously he's gotten a lot older he doesn't have what he used to have but he's still a big name he's still a he's still a tick he'd still be a ticket seller for teams that need that I'm surprised that he's not getting a lot more offers than that I do I could see him. Um, I could see him doing the Cowboys, as you said, Joe. Yeah. I think it may it does make a little bit of sense. The Cowboys have a little trouble on defense. He would patch up some holes very nicely there. Obviously, we know the Cowboys' biggest concern is that offensive line to protect Dak Prescott and Zeke Elliott to let them get back to their elite statuses. But on the defensive side, Richard Sherman could be a very big help. And I think that that's honestly – but based on all the teams you've listed off – I would say that's probably his best bet is the Cowboys. I don't know exactly how much money they have left after paying Dak too. Right. So it'll be interesting to see where Richard Sherman is able to give a little leg room on a contract, but it's, well, it's that's the biggest thing. That's the biggest thing. How much leg room does he want to give? Exactly. Because he's always one that wants the big payday. He and he's always been vocal. He's about already it. got the ring, so that's not a, so he doesn't need to go right. chasing. So Larry? it's all about that bag now. Yeah, I mean, hey, listen, the, the Jeff enemy says, "Oh, well, hey, he, you know, he can he can <laughs> reunite, you know, with 
Soleil. And okay, uh, perfect. You know, but um, I mean, Dallas does make sense. But do you want to go in? You want to go play for you know under the microscope in Dallas, where you know everything just gets dissected. You got to deal with uh, Jerry Jones. You know, I, I I've also been reading that like the, the Oakland Raiders may be uh, a, a team that's interested. Uh, and Oakland is a team that has some good pieces. They have a good head coach, a head coach that's big on defense. And Sherman might be, uh, you know, uh, he might help bolster uh, the uh, defense there. Um, you know, but I, I get it. Listen, Dallas, I could see Dallas wanting Sherman. I could see Sherman wanting Dallas just because of how, you know, big the Cowboys are. But, you know, I, I'm a fan of, of Oakland going for him. Yeah. And you know what? Just to just to confirm, actually, or just to uh, correct you there, the Las Vegas Raiders, because oh, it's OK. I, yes, that I'm is sorry. that is completely OK. Yeah. You know what? Because correct me if I'm wrong, everybody. I believe I said Oakland Raiders as well. I think, well, I, I, think, and, and I, think, I think I've been there. I think Joey's been there. We've essentially all been there. There are, there are time. There are still times when I call the Los Angeles chargers, the San Diego chargers. I mean, now mm. listen, if you're calling the St. Louis Rams still St. Louis, then we've got a little bit of a problem, but uh, be that as it may, the, Wait, the, the, the Houston the, Oilers could get him too. That is <laughs> right. not a point there, you know, I mean, yeah. That is very true. We start, should we start bringing back NFL Europe teams too? <laughs> you better believe it. That's right. There you go. Ian Schreier, your thoughts on uh, on where Sherman could possibly go? I think Sherman is perfect for the Jerry Jones environment. Um, when you just think about his personality, and uh, I think he would fit in perfectly with that crowd there with uh, with, with Zeke and, uh, and, and just that, like I said, just that environment. But I, I think Richard Sherman has put himself into, into a little bit of a tight spot because now we've hit draft time. Um, yeah. And I don't think, even though I, I, I forgot who it was that signed, there was a cornerback that signed recently, um, one of the available, remaining available uh, cornerbacks in the free agent market signed recently, and I can't remember which one. But um, teams now are going to draft. And if they feel that they're addressing cornerback and don't want to go out there and pay big money for Richard Sherman, Richard Sherman's now going to have to drop his price tag. So, um, real, you know, I'm shocked that Richard Sherman's not a Jet. It made too much sense with Robert Sala. He was successful in San Francisco. Um, I, I said on the NFL Free Agency show that why have they not gone and gotten him yet? I still don't know. But I think that Dallas would be a perfect um, <clears throat> environment for him just because of Jerry Jones and, uh, and uh, you know, being in the spotlight, having the 425 p.m. game like he did with Seattle um, on Fox every single Sunday and uh, – he just loves that attention. And um, yeah. right now Dallas is a team that is severely lacking in their secondary. And uh, they they need a CB1 to go up against the you know an opposing uh, wide receiver one like a, a Kenny Galladay, a Terry McLaurin, you know, um, in the NFC East. And that's just naming, you know, a couple of the wide receiver ones, um, at least in the division, not so much around the rest of the NFL. So um, I think for uh, – Richard Sherman, that would make the most sense, but um, I think he's he's done a lot um, at this point now to really hurt himself in terms of maybe getting that big payday. I think the cornerback that you were speaking of was Quinton Dunbar, who mm -hmm. went from the Seattle Seahawks to the Detroit Lions uh, just a couple of days ago on Tuesday. Uh, he signed a, uh, a one-year deal with Detroit. Uh, they're trying to bolster that back end because clearly Desmond Trufant was not the answer following the Darius Slay trade. Um, so I don't know. We'll see. Maybe the Detroit Lions could be the only team in NFL history to go 0-16 and 0-17. 
who knows? We'll see what happens there. That that uh, that that definitely. I, I totally be. forgot about that. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Think about it. Whoever was zero and sixteen can now possibly go zero and seventeen, and they would be the oh, only wow. team, and most likely, be the only team ever to do that. And probably you'd figure would you know would probably stay that way for as long as we're on this earth. But who knows? Cra- again, crazier things have happened, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, guys, let's keep on moving here with the NCAA. Um, I don't know. Final four, Jalen Suggs, Gonzaga, then Baylor comes in and absolutely dominates Gonzaga. They come off on a 29 to eight run in the first half. I think it was before the U 12 media timeout. It was beyond brutal. Gonzaga was too, too high off of their, uh, Jalen Suggs uh, emotional victory and a spot on the one shining moment video, obviously. Um, but Ian, I got to start with you here. The team of destiny came back and absolutely bit you right in the face. Look, I thought Gonzaga was a team of destiny. I did, especially after the, the buzzer beater in overtime against UCLA. Yeah. When we had Nick Diamandis on the show last week to preview yeah. the final four in the national championship game, I, you know, I asked him, I said, what was going to be the key uh, to taking down Gonzaga? And they said, UCLA was probably going to have to score in the 90s. They scored in the 90s and still lost. So, yeah. um, look, credit to, to Mick Cronin and that UCLA Bruins men's basketball team. I know uh, Mick just got a huge extension to stay at UCLA, well-deserved. I mean, he built up such a resume um, of having successful programs at um, the University of Cincinnati, um, you know, before they joined the American when they were still a member of the Big East. Um, And then, uh, you know, to go over to UCLA and just instill that same philosophy and uh, a team that appeared to be on the outside looking in for the tournament gets in and ends up almost playing for the national championship. But um, I got to give credit to the uh, to two of the gentlemen on the show, to Joey and Rob, for actually believing that Baylor was going to beat Gonzaga and taking uh, Baylor as your national champion. So uh, Bobby Knight's uh, 76 Hoosiers still remain the um, last undefeated national champion in NCAA Division One men's basketball history. Um, we can't forget either. I mean, Gonzaga had the top scoring offense. Um, in the country the entire season. Never let go of that number one national ranking. Baylor wasn't even a top 50 ranked defense and held them not below 90 points, but also below 80. I mean, think about that for a second. How good Gonzaga was coming in. You know, their All-American first teamer, Corey Kispert, held to just 12 points, held to three of 17 shooting from the from uh, from three-point land. I mean, that's the wor- that, that was their worst, Gonzaga's worst NCAA tournament three-point performance of the entire uh, dance. Um and on, to Baylor's credit, offensively, uh, Gonzaga put themselves in a zone. Uh, I guess they must have forgotten that Baylor um, has the number one three-point shooting offense in the country. Um, and you're not going to lose a whole lot of games like Baylor um, when you're shooting over 50% uh, from the field and 50% from three in the first half. It's pretty sad to see, especially when um, Gonzaga really was not prepared for Baylor. And this is something that we also said on our on our um, on our NCAA preview special um, that I pre- I really thought that Baylor would give Gonzaga a run for their money. I didn't think that Gonzaga was all that they were up to be, and I also did not believe that Gonzaga had it in them to go thirty one and zero. Why? Because of the conference that they play in. Yes, this is something also that we brought up the three of us. I think it was Ian and Deluca as well. Uh, as well as Kevin Connolly. Uh, I'm sorry, no, Ian was actually not on that show. It was all it was Mike Zabo was actually in his spot. Um, and when we spoke about that, I remember we had brought up that 
um, you know, in the West Coast, in the in the WCC, in the West Coast Conference, it's simply there's there's no other schools really out there. St. Um, Mary's, that's it. Yeah, exactly. That's really about it. And you know, there there's no competition. Obviously, this is Mark Few's best team from top to bottom in a very long time, if not in his yeah, entire ever. tenure yeah. at Gonzaga. Um, but I, I think that it, it's really crazy to see how Gonzaga did not show up. And I think that that's the biggest thing here. I expected Baylor to come in and get, you know, and beat them fair and square, but not beat them and take their heads and mop them on the floor. That's not what I was expecting. And I think that a lot of people too, when they were watching the final four and even the national championship game, they weren't expecting, uh, games like that. And Gonzaga really their biggest, um, you know, competition was UCLA all the way up to that point. It was UCLA that gave them the hardest time. And I think that that Cinderella story with UCLA and Mick Cronin and also his father, Heb Cronin, I think that was the, that was one of the coolest things that we saw throughout the entire tournament. Um, Larry, I know you're not really an NCAA guy, but I'm sure that you definitely took a peek at one of the games, you know, wherever it was, whichever game it was, um, you know, again, not asking a lot, but what do you? What did you come out, or what did you think of the uh, event of the NCAA March Madness tournament? Not only it being for the first time in two years, but you know how good was it to be back and to see uh, you know the student athletes uh, come out and play uh, hard fought basketball. Yeah, no, I, um, I, I think the first thing that you brought up is is important. The fact that they could not play the tournament in 2020, and I mean, what what did they get a week's notice that they weren't going to uh, have a tournament? So. Uh, to have to deal with that and then to deal with this season with COVID and really to be able to get the tournament off. What it, it was it was one team that had to forfeit, right? Only one game, I believe, was actually affected. Yeah, VCU. The, uh, one. VCU. Yeah. So, so to have that happen is, is great. And Gonzaga has been a team that, you know, has always seeded well in the tournament. But, they, yeah. but you know, they, they've never – you know, they don't get to the end, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so to finally have them undefeated, like you said, um, everyone has seen the last, you know, 12 seconds of that final four, uh, game to turn around and in overtime to make it look like we are the team of destiny. We are like the Hoosiers in 76. Then they go play Baylor. And if I'm not mistaken, Gonzaga never led in that game. That is correct. Like they never led. They never led once. So to get basically schooled. Yeah. Um, when you, no you know, right. You, exactly. Um, <laughs> is, 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 it's just, cra- it, it's crazy. It, it's such a letdown and I get it. The final four, normally those two games, you know, together are more exciting than the championship game. You know, it, it depends. I mean, I've seen some great championship games, but to see them come in, which, which was supposed to be a competitive game and to lose by 16, uh, is just, is crazy. Joey, Rob, I got to ask you guys a question on a personal note. Do you guys have a favorite national championship game? Ever? Yes. Yes. I do. Rob first. Go ahead. Uh, just, yeah, in recent memory, I go back to 2016. You know, I go right back to no- UNC it. Villanova. I mean, That's you it. can't get, you get, you don't get a better instant classic of a championship game than that, really, especially in recent right. memory. I'm only 25 years mm. old. So yeah. th- there are some games that you got to see, Ian, that I didn't. 
Well, so, I, I'll tell you mine, but Joey, 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 can, I'll tell you mine. But uh, listen, I'm not going to pr- pull out like the 1987 national championship game, but go ahead, Joey, you can go first. Well, I mean, you know, obviously you, you can't get any better than, uh, than, than 2016. Could you with Christian Leitner, obviously. And, uh, you know, I think that that was really uh, another fantastic moment as well. Um, but you know, I think that, I think that just seeing 2016 and seeing the, uh, the the shot from Mays, obviously, and then the timeout taken, and then right then and there, when Chris Jenkins from the right wing, just behind the arc, takes the shot, and that is the moneymaker. That, to me, um, was the coolest thing, and that was also my first year at St. John's as a student, too, so really, to be a part of the Big East, it was really cool, and, uh, you know, but I, I think that that really is my favorite national championship moment uh just seeing all of these different games and you know obviously this year was such a letdown with everything um and and really to be completely honest here fellas and and this is something i want to ask ian too because he was not on on our show uh excuse me on our nca uh preview show um you've seen and we have seen many upsets we mm-hmm. have seen countless games in the last couple of years. UMBC takes down Virginia, round number one. We've seen Auburn come out, and they've, you know, and one of Bruce Pearl's teams have been fantastic. Um, you know, a lot of these schools have been really great in years past, but this year, you know, we've seen upsets, not as many as the as in the past, obviously, with you know with everything happening in Indiana, in the state of Indiana, just all across. Um, to you, did you feel that, you know, and just by watching also the One Shining Moment video, there were not many exclamation points aside from Jalen Suggs. No, I, you know, I, I've actually been pretty disappointed with One Shining Moment the last couple of years. Um, even when you go back to the last one, Villanova one, it's been, it's been very quick. It looks like they're just trying to kind of rush it along. <laughs> Um, you know, I, I haven't been too thrilled with it, but, um, when you were talking about upsets, I thought you were going to ask me maybe what my favorite upset of all time was. And I, and if, if I had to answer that question, it'd have to be dunk city, um, yeah. Florida yeah. Gulf coast upsetting Georgetown, yes. um, just because of how much fun that game was. Um, you know, I mean, just completely poster posterizing JT's Hoyas. I mean, that was, and I'm not even saying that as a Syracuse fan, I don't have the hatred towards Georgetown that Georgetown fans have, uh, towards Syracuse, but, um, that was just such a fun game, but my favorite, um, national championship game of all time, even though the 2016 one is great, the Marcus page shot, the Jenkins shot, um, is, is actually the 2010 national championship, Gordon Hayward, um, Duke and Butler, um, yeah. you know, Butler's, uh, Brad Stevens, um, debut. At uh, you know, at, at in the national championship game, nobody knew who Butler was at that point. They were a Horizon League team. They weren't even a Big East team. So, um, you know, that was just so much fun to watch. To watch, um, you know, that god awful screen on John Shire. I think it was the one who went who went down hard, and they yes. didn't call anything. And and Gordon Hayward almost nailed it from sixty feet. But that 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 by far, I think I wouldn't say by far, but that is uh, my favorite um, national championship member for sure. Rob DeLuca, your thought on uh, Larry? On- I think Larry's trying to say something. We got Larry. We, we can't. Larry, hear- how dare we? Or no, no, we can't hear Larry's, Larry's voice is not coming through. We can't hear you. <laughs> oh, we're losing him. No, 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 we still, still lost you. All right. So, <laughs> so figure it out. So, Larry, so Larry will be figuring that out. We do hope to get him back on in a quick second. 
DeLuca, you're, we, we, you and I, we, 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 we were talking about all the time with one shining moment and, uh, and, and just to see what it was this year, I was pretty disappointed. Yeah, it wasn't great. What about you? Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't the best. I mean, it seems like they phoned it in it's tough, you know, cause you know what? A lot of those, you know, back in the day, a lot of those, most of that video would be fan shots. And when you have, when you got a limited crowd and you know, it's kind of depressing to see everyone wearing a mask too. It's really stupid, but obviously you have to do it for safety reasons, but you, people don't want to see that in the video. Right. So, That's fair. It's supposed to be a happy video a great of great moments. And with, when your video is like half fan shots, it's not good. So well, and, and when you don't have a full house, it's not it's not as fun. Well, what I will tell you though is is that especially after a year of canceling, I think regardless of masks or whatnot, I think it's still great to see all the the student athletes back on the court. And and as a college administrator myself, I think it sounds like we've got Larry back as well. Uh, it, it, yep, we we yep, we we hear you. Um, you know, and I know Ian can definitely attest to this as well. It's fantastic to see them back on the court safely and making sure that they're able to play. And, uh, you know, all really good things uh, with the NCA moving forward. And hopefully, uh, you know, and, and just to and just to go back with uh, with what with, with what Ian had typed, uh, you know, separately to me. Yes, technically, the reason why I brought up college administrator uh, is because that is what my ID card says. So I run off of that. So it says administrator. I'm the administrator. I am an administrator up here and up here only. You might, uh, Larry, give, you might want to give Irma a call then. <laughs> well, that, yeah, that, that, that is true. I, I fair Larry Patakowitz, your <laughs> thoughts. Uh, yeah. Uh, to, to be honest, um, I did not get a chance to see the, the, the one trending moment video for this year. I obviously have seen the uh, prior year videos, but from what I'm hearing, yeah. you know, if, if, if it is mostly fan shots, I get it because fans were back, but it should be more about the student athletes themselves who some of these guys who lost a year uh, of this tournament uh, to, you know, really highlight what they were able uh, to do. When I was cut off before, I was uh, saying how that 2010 Butler run was a great, one of the great Cinderella runs. I know they had another good run in them in 2011, but I, yes, I'm not a big college basketball fan, but I, I did watch both Butler runs in 2010 and 2011. Yeah, Brad Stevens, uh, Gordon Hayward, crazy things uh, then. And March Madness, anything can happen. There's no doubt about it. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we have we are just a little bit after, uh, a little past our halfway mark here, 8.06 Eastern time on the East Coast. Uh, alongside my guys, Ian Schreier, Rob DeLuca, Larry Patakowitz, I'm Joey Jarzinka. Cannot thank you all enough for tuning in here this evening on the Eastern Observer. We did start an hour later, and that will most likely be moving forward. Uh, our new time, summer hours, spring and summer hours. Uh, we'll definitely be uh, keeping up with you with the fall. Uh, there will be a new day announced as well for the summer, but we will not divulge that information now. We'll bring that to you later on once things are finalized here on the Eastern Observer. But for more information on everything Primetime Rundown, uh, visit us at theeasternobserver.com or give us a follow on Twitter at Observe Eastern. At Observe Eastern is the, uh, is the name there. Uh, so just by looking also, uh, the cool thing here is, is that, um, just to do a little bit of a mid show promotion, 
Uh, be sure to subscribe to us, guys. Uh, you know, everybody out there, please subscribe to us. Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio. Give us a search on i uh, on YouTube by searching i ninety five Sports Network and search the Primetime Rundown. Uh, we've got all of our episodes there. Uh, we also have the Essential Wrestling Podcast as well. They come to you live every Tuesday. Be sure to search exactly uh, Essential Wrestling Podcast on all of the following platforms. And the same thing goes with our morning show, Daily Wrestling News Show, um, on all of the following podcasts, Apple, Spotify, iHeart, Radio. Also, let's not forget, guys, tomorrow, uh, Essential Wrestling Podcast, uh, the WrestleMania show comes to you live noon Eastern time uh, on Saturday, April 10th, right here on the Eastern Observer. So uh, all good things coming up here on the uh, the website, Eastern Observer. Uh, things continue to move forward, and uh, yeah, all good things. Guys, let's keep moving forward here with the NCAA because there is some uh, crazy things here. Uh, where Seton Hall has been winning the offseason. This is big news for St. John's fans, and I know Rob DeLuca is definitely not too happy about some of the moves that Seton Hall has made because it has been the chiropractic adjustment, as John Rothstein would say, Kevin Willard, more adjustments than a chiropractor because it really is the truth. He has revamped his entire lineup and gets an extra year of Miles Kale back. Ian Schreier, your thoughts on on what Seton Hall has done because truthfully, it has been remarkable in the Big East. Yeah, we, we you know what it's it's been remarkable the Big East with in terms of the number of uh, student athletes or number of players transferring out from St. John's, but also the number of players now transferring in um, for Seton Hall, but. Um, I think for Seton Hall, we saw exactly what their lack of depth um, did to them, um, you know, down the second half of the Big East schedule. Um, we, we just saw game after game how Sandro Mamukelashvili was putting that team on his back. Um, you know, no, you know, no, no shame to, to guys like Bryce Aiken, but like, that's what it was. I mean, you look at a box score, I mean, I'm not saying a box score tells the whole story, but Mamu was the, you know, was that was averaging close to 20 and everybody else on the team felt like was averaging close to like nine or 10. So, uh, this is a team that needed to get deeper. Um, they did that. Um, I mean, they've really, uh, Kevin Willard's just a tremendous coach. We've, we've known that for years now. So this is, uh, it, it just makes Hall that much a content, more a contender in the big East come next year. Rob DeLuca, you as a St. John's fan, just to see uh, this come to fruition, um, and you see the exodus on Utopia Parkway, and a lot of these players that have been contacted by Mike Anderson and staff, things are not looking great uh, in Queens, but things continue to look on the rise in Newark. Yeah, that's exactly what it looks like at this point. I mean, Seton Hall was never really that bad to begin with. They were never really struggling. They were never really in a bad place. This just gets this essentially is just trying to get them back to that super spot they were in two years ago. And I think that that's pretty much where they want to get get back to. They enjoyed that those Miles Powell years. They really enjoyed that. Obviously, who wouldn't? When you're that good, you're making the tournament every year. It's a a fun time, you know, so that they're trying to get back to the tournament again and they're trying to stay there. So for St. John's, on the other hand, this is tough losing seven transfers already, getting a couple back, but there's still a lot of work to be done. There was a lot of hope that this team would be able to dance next year after just, just slightly missing the dance this year. They were, they were close. Had they won another big East game or won the turn, obviously win the tournament, you go. But Georgetown, red hot, couldn't be stopped nonetheless. 
right now this doesn't look like a year for St. John's to be dancing. They're not. Go- I likely don't have them going to the tournament. They are likely going to drop a few spots. They are not going to be top four again. Top well, four. They got top four this year because of a because of Posh Alexander, rookie of the year, rightly so. Julian Champagny, Big East player of the year in my book. Not sure how he wasn't even considered, considering the Big East decided to have three, not one, but three winners, which is so, which that's a conversation for another time. But, (laughs) and and Mike and coach Mike Anderson being coach of the year, he coached that team. But the problem that Mike Anderson has now lost a lot of these weapons, you're not going to be able to do this with Champagne and Alexander alone. It's just, it's not feasible. And I agree with, with Rob. All, yeah, and with all the big men gone, Cole, Vince Cole's gone, Isaiah Moore is gone. Those were your two biggest players. That this team is back to being very, very small again, which can't you can't compete with that in the Big East. You need big men. So what St. John's needs to do is go out and get one. Like I want to jump on if, if if I can for a second here, Joey. I would love to jump on Rob St. John's point because. Um, when you look at the way the Big East was this year um, and, 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 and the players that St. John's had on the court, and now most of them are gone with the exception at this point of Posh and Julian, and who knows what's going to happen with Julian testing the NBA waters um, if he decides to try to get drafted or go to the G League or, dare we even say, try to play international ball. Um, you, look at, you look at now who's around the Big East. Um, obviously, you know, Nova's going to be a threat. Hall's gotten deeper and better. Um, Marquette now has Shaka. So Shaka is going to bring in his guys and you know, Marquette is not going to have the same bad year that they had this year. Um, Georgetown is going to be, it has one of the better recruiting classes coming in next year. UConn has a studded recruiting class coming in next year. So it, it, it it's scary after the year that St. John's had to think not only could they potentially be bottom half of the Big East, but even more so to think that they could be a bottom four team in the Big East just because of the numbers that they've lost. Um, even though Posh and Julian are, are just such benchmark players but when you look at the rest of the conference right now it's so top heavy that i'm not sure st john's can really contend i want to bring this up here with uh with larry because i'm not going to ask a big east question larry i want to ask you a legitimate ncaa question that really can relate to anything uh professional sports and even sports as a whole um the last question i know that you do have to run but with the NCAA now having a transfer rule that is essentially as if that you are an unrestricted free agent, um, and we are now seeing a mass exodus of players in the transfer portal, uh, roughly about 1,300 kids. Uh, that's a lot of student-athletes in the portal that now never have to sit out ever again. Um, I, I don't think that that is personally great. What are your thoughts on, on that to see this whole uh, exodus out of every single school in the country. Yeah, I am. I am not a fan of it um, at all. And you know, I, Ian and I have always had discussions as to whether you know should student athletes be able to be compensated for uh, playing? Should they be able to make money? Um, you know, for their for their rights, their signatures, uh, and things like that. But you know, I also understand that it's about getting an education. Yes, they are getting a, most of them are getting a free education to be able to to play. And, you know, and most of these guys don't become professional athletes, right? You right. know, most of these guys don't go to the NBA, they don't go to the NFL, and if they do, they, most of them don't get far, right? right. So, but true? but the turnaround and now turn this into what you said, right? Which is basically like like a free agent market where every year now you're going to have these students jump from school to school 
you know, I, 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 I don't, I like the NCAA the way it is where you go to your school, right? You, you stay there for however many, however many years you're going to be there. Right. Oh, yeah. Listen, if you're really good and you're going to go into the NBA, okay, fine. You know, but stay there and be part of something as opposed yeah. to, no, no, I'm going to play f- for this team for a year and I'm going to go jump and uh, I'm going to go to all these powerhouse teams. Um, so I, I'm really not a fan of it uh, at all. Um, because, you know, not only uh, does it hurt the actual fans of these schools, you know, like, let's say, I, I, you know, I, like Rob was talking about St. John's. You know, I'm not a college basketball fan, but I did go to St. John's, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I was there during the Marcus Hattony era, you know. But, um, <laughs> but uh, you know, at least I, I had, um, you know, an allegiance to my school. But if now everyone can just jump ship, you know, they can just get in somewhere to get in and then move and all of a sudden go to powerhouse teams. So, you know, I think it's, it, it's going to um, – it's going to do the complete opposite of leveling the playing field. Right. It, and it's similar to like the NBA where everything is, you know, we're going to build these super teams now, and that could potentially now happen in the NCAA as well. And that really, uh, you know, in my opinion defeats the purpose there um, of trying to build something in college basketball. And that's what makes college basketball so great too. Um, but you know, everything, uh, everything happens for a reason. And I think that the, the crazy part is, is that, um, you know, we'll see possibly, possibly some guys head to a, a Seton Hall or maybe not go to a Gonzaga or maybe not go to a Baylor. Um, but this is other news as well uh, from our friend Jaden Daly. We'll close off uh, the the topic with this. Uh, our good friend Jaden Daly reported that, uh, excuse me, that Sienna transfer Jalen uh, Jalen Pickett has been coveted by Baylor. Baylor wow. Bears are looking at uh, Sienna, uh, one of the Sienna, uh, point guard, uh, Sienna guards, uh, that has been a Mac player of the year, if I'm not mistaken, or has gotten all conference accolades. Uh, he is being coveted by the, the, for, uh, the national champions, uh, Baylor. So we'll see what happens and where that goes, uh, and where that leads to moving forward. Larry Protakowicz, ladies and gentlemen, Larry, thank you so much for coming on here with us tonight. We hope you have a great night and we hope to see you soon as always. And to be our rotational fourth as always really a fun time. Perfect. Thank you so much. And listen, I, I know I didn't get to my kudos, uh, uh at the end, but you know, tomorrow morning, nine 30 Massapequa coast little league, my four-year-olds taking the field for T-ball. Hey, He's got the orange jersey, you know, we're all we're dressed like Tennessee uh, for, for our team. So I'm hoping we make it two innings before he gives up. But there we uh, go. <laughs> T-ball is the first time. So I got a new glove because uh, my, my, my old one's all beat up. So we're going to have fun. I love it. Well, let's go. Let's go. And I hope that there is uh, that there is a winner tomorrow. And I hope that it that uh, that your boy is a fun time. Perfect. Thank you so much, guys. Thanks, Larry. We'll see you soon. So, so very good things here, ladies and gentlemen, uh, as, uh, as Larry, uh, departs us this evening and, uh, a lot of good things to talk about here, guys, as we get to our final topic of the night. And, uh, that is the national hockey league. And, uh, you know, as of tonight, these are the games that not only are going on right now. Um, but you know, there's a couple of games or actually a trio of games. One that just started Minnesota, St. Louis, uh, tonight, 10 o'clock, we've got, 
the Avalanche, the Ducks. Actually, the Avalanche just made a trade uh, that we'll announce in a few minutes. It's not a big one. Obviously, DeLuca and probably Ian will make fun of me once I bring that up just because, uh, you know, it's a trade and and it's uh, it's trade deadline is is on its way. Um, the, uh, the LA Kings take on the sharks, uh, that comes your way at 10 30 as well. All the games can be seen on the following networks on your screen there. So, uh, a lot of good things there, uh, tonight with the national hockey league right now, the Rangers are leading the Islanders to nothing. Um, you know, so wild stuff. I think that this, um, kind of brings us to, uh, the two trades that have just happened this afternoon, uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs acquire Riley Nash for a uh, for a conditional seventh round pick that can be turned into a sixth rounder uh, if Riley Nash plays 25% of the playoff games for Toronto. We do not know how the playoffs are going to be, uh, you know, they're how they're going to be. Uh, divided uh, with obviously with the border issue uh, with the border being closed and who they would be playing against unless they all come down here to the States and um, call the States home uh, for a little, for a little while, but we'll see what happens there. Uh, also the Colorado avalanche have acquired Patrick Nemeth uh, defenseman from Detroit. Uh, that one is for uh, nothing really crazy. I think it's just for a four, 2022 fourth round pick. Uh, and Detroit retains 50% of Nemeth's $3 million AAV um, salary. So nothing really crazy there, fellas. Um, let's keep moving forward here. And Kyle Palmieri, Travis Ajax, the New York Islanders. Uh, obviously, we're seeing a 2-0 lead right now for the Rangers, the opponents. Uh, Rob DeLuca, as a... As a Rangers fan, excuse me, as a Devils fan, my goodness, we're we're getting late there. As a diehard Devils fan, wow, my goodness, as a diehard Devils fan, to see Travis Ajak in a different uniform and to see Kyle Palmieri with not a lot of hair on his face, what do you think of this? Oh, that's, uh, well, Kyle Palmieri without the beard is weird. That's just, it's a, it's a, it's a weird look. He didn't look like Kyle Palmieri because he's, he's always had it. That clean shave doesn't work for him. But nonetheless, I wish him the best. I think he's going to do great things on the Islanders. He's going to, if the Islanders even extend him, who knows? He's going to, he's going to, he's going to, he's going to score some goals for you, some timely goals. He's going to be a big asset in the playoffs. Travis Ajak definitely hurts a little more now. So (laughs) what happens here is that this is a life career long devil. This is someone who once again doesn't get to finish his career in New Jersey because of how bad this team is and how, how this team doesn't understand to rebuild because this is bit this is now going up next year it will be the 10th year of this alleged rebuild and it feels like at this point it might just be getting started it feels like it might just be getting started but honestly to Travis Zajac he's a career devil he's always going to be a devil and he's going to be missed by everyone he was a lovable guy in the locker room the islanders are i my grinds are definitely not even my gears are definitely not even grinded here but you sure about that? About I'm a, very about sure. About about this listen, listen to the tone of my voice. There's no anger here. There is no <laughs> anger. There is no, there is no hostility. They're just. It's mainly just pain and sadness more than anything. So I honestly, he's a very effective face-off man. Dipped a little bit, but that's what happens when you age. He's dipped a little bit in his performance, but he'll he'll be a good bottom six player for the Islanders. He'll definitely make some make some keep clutch plays when you need them. 
He, as I have seen over the years, many years, almost 15 years now, and it's it's unfortunate that his time in New Jersey has come to an end. Him, Andy Green, finally reunited. Those guys, both of them should have been career devils, are not because Lou Lamorell gets his guys back. That's how Lou Lamorell operates. He's one of the best in the sport. He and he 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 lost the Andy Green Andy Green trade last year. He won this one. He got his two guys that he wanted for a first round pick and a fourth round pick. Well, the fourth round pick is conditional and that if the Islanders make the Stanley Cup final this year, it becomes a third round pick. That's not going to happen. So it's a fourth round pick. So it's a first and a fourth round pick with the two prospects that the Islanders gave gave the Devils. Not that good. It's they're not, not really prospects. They're former prospects. They're for, yeah, and they're, they're AHL guys that are probably never going to make it up here to the NHL. I would have preferred not a first. I would have preferred a lesser draft pick and better prospects. But unfortunately, this is the hand we were dealt. So we'll ha- the Devils are not done yet by any stretch of the by any stretch of the word. This is not the only deal they are going to be making. There's probably plenty more to come. Guy, you look at guys like Ryan Murray. You look at Sammy Votnin. Oh my goodness! Oh, thanks, Dad. So it so it looks as if that uh, that that uh, that Rob DeLuca Senior, I guess Rob D, is more in control regarding the Devils' trades tonight versus last night. Well, yeah, listen. when you when, when you, sl- when you <laughs> sleep on it, you, you feel better. When you sleep <laughs> on it, you feel better about it. But nonetheless, it's they're not done yet. Ryan Murray, Sammy Votnin, possibly Dmitry Kulikov, Aaron Dell, even who managed to come out of the doghouse for the first time in like a month. So. They're not done yet. This is a big selling time for the Devils. They're going to be receiving a lot of phone calls from a lot of playoff contenders who are going to want these guys because they can because they can provide that veteranship that most teams need in the playoffs, that final push that they need in their depths. So the Devils, I'm not even going to be surprised if Lou Lamorello – I doubt Lou Lamorello gives another call to the Devils, but there's a lot out there. Boston, St. Louis, there's plenty of teams out there that will be calling Tom Fitzgerald looking – for something. Yeah, that, that definitely is a possibility. And there's also a few other guys that are, um, that really are dangling out there. Uh, David Savard, uh, from the Columbus blue jackets, as well as Taylor hall from Buffalo, who is, uh, not really liked in many certain, in many locker rooms. Uh, a lot of people say that he is a locker room cancer. Uh, I don't really, we, we don't know because we haven't heard from Jordan Everly about it, but he is one of his best friends. So um, maybe there could be some turnaround there, or maybe Lou, Lou Lamarillo could be, uh, you know, given a little or, or keeping his, his eyes on there and, and that situation out there. But Ian Schreier, your thoughts, obviously it is a very low uh, a slow moving trade deadline right now, but again, we are only three days away. Um, what are your thoughts on the trade deadline overall? And, and really Paul Mary and, and Zajac to the Islanders, this, this move to me, and you tell me if I'm wrong, but this move to me looks like a rental only Stanley cup final, trying to push for that last bit of, you know, oomph to really get you past, um, the conference final from last year. Yeah, I th- I, that's exactly what it is. I think uh, f- from the Devils fan perspective, I understand Rob's points and you know, understanding that you, when you see these lifelong uh, Devils players, you want them to retire wearing that red and black uniform. But uh, sometimes that's not really the way the chips fall. And uh, 
Um, I think this is a good thing for New Jersey, to be honest with you. This is a team that needs to continue to get younger. Uh, this is a team that's, you know, like Rob said, is in rebuild. But, you know, when does this rebuild exactly hey, start? I don't know if this team can get any younger. I'm, no, I know. I'm but saying really I'm, I'm, it's possible. But I, I really don't but think I, it's possible. I think, for them, I, I think for them, though, Rob, I think just start – look, they, they've been starting over, but I think getting guys like – you know, unloading guys like Palmieri and Zajac. It, it had to be know. done. It just, yeah. I yeah. I personally didn't believe Travis Ajak was going to be moved. I that came as a shock, but that is how that is how um I'm sorry. Um that is how the Devils the Devils were able to get that that to be yeah. a first round pick. I my thinking is if it was only Kyle Palmieri, it was going to be a second round pick. And right. Tom Fitzgerald coveted for whatever reason he coveted getting a first round pick. And because here's the thing. I'm almost positive, based on everyone I've talked to on the inside, I was 99% sure Kyle Palmieri was on his way to Boston three days ago. Wow. I was I was almost certain he was – I don't know. I didn't know what they were going to get back, but I was almost certain he was going to Boston. I but, think – Toronto apparent, apparently calls Palmieri, asked him to waive his no-trade clause to Canada. He didn't want to go to Canada because of all the quarantine and everything. But now here we are, like three, three day, like three, four days later, and it, it these they gave these guys a chance to, you know, yeah. Oh, man. It, yeah. it, it, it gave it gave Lou Lamorello yeah. wiggle room. Yeah, by, by the by the market reopening on Palmieri, Lou came in and was like, "Here's what I'm gonna give you. You can have that first round pick that you want, but throw in Travis Zajac." And yeah. Tommy jumped on it. Yeah, I, th- I think from the Islanders' perspective, um, it, yeah, this is a chance, Joey, for for the Islanders to run four lines deep again yeah. in the playoffs. This is something they need. Anders Lee has done for the year, um, so I think having Kyle Palmieri on that uh, first power play unit is a guy that they could put right in front of the net to get you know into the dirty areas. I'm not. Yeah, Matt Martin's not doing it. <laughs> no. Hey, um, hey no, that's think- that. Hey, that is that is powerful. <laughs> Matt Martin, right there. Hey, he stands in front of those um, big body nets. He's like the Miles Wood of the Islanders. You just use that big body stand right in front of the net. <laughs> Look, Kyle Palmieri is coming off five straight years of 20 more goals for the Devils. So I think just having his um, know-how and his experience on the ice is going to help. And the same thing for um, a bottom six player at this point of his career like Travis Zajac. He's just going to add, I mean, the New York Devils basically at this point. But the, you Long know, Island Devils, yes. Yeah, the Long Island Devils, excuse me, is just going to – Add further depth, experience. I mean, this is a guy who played in the Cup Final in 2012, um, so he knows what it's like if they do get there to play in, you know, in a series like that. So I think players like him and Andy Green, from that perspective and that playoff experience, um, are 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 um, not expendable uh, because you just yeah. when you look at teams in past years, maybe besides the Tampa Bay Lightning last year um, that have won the cup, they always have these, you know, third or fourth line, you know, veterans um, that always, you know, when you think of guys like, you know, Phil Kessel playing for the Penguins, like these are guys who just, you need those, that veteran leadership in the, in the, in the locker room, um, you know, guys that have won the cup before that know what it takes to win the cup. Yeah. Um, and, and like I said, I just think Lou is setting up the Islanders to be as deep as they can in the postseason. There's 16 games left. Um, excuse me, 15 after tonight, but you know, they, they have an opportunity to lock up the East. Um, 
And there's only eight. I mean, the thing is, there's only eight points separating them between Boston, Washington, and Pittsburgh at this point. So they yeah. need uh, they need more scores. This has been the problem. I mean, it wasn't a problem for the Islanders in the postseason last year, but it was the problem for the Islanders before the postseason last year. So this team needs to continue to find a way to score. Um, and getting guys like Zajac and Palmieri who have that experience is only going to help them. Absolutely. And oh, Joey, go ahead. As a whole, as a hockey whole, guys, um, you know, with the NHL trade deadline uh, on Monday, where do we see the most coveted player in Taylor Hall overall? Where does he go? Uh, Ian, I want to start with you. Oh, sure. I mean, I was, I was, I was going to let Rob go, but I'm going to say Boston. Uh, yeah, the Bruins make sense. Um, this, that is a team right now that is right now on the cusp of potentially making the playoffs. Um, they're hanging on to that. Um, I I know they have a few games in hand on the guy on the teams ahead of them, but, and I think even the teams behind them as well, but they're hanging on just, you know, onto the cusp of that postseason picture and they need it. They need a a forward on that second line with David Krejci at this point. There is, you know, there's a lot of concern there. I know it's one of the names maybe being rumored to go back if the trade doesn't, uh, go forward would be like a Jake DeBrusque. Absolutely. Um, you know, would be would be kind of the headlining piece back to uh uh to Buffalo. Uh but which is uh, crazy. Which is yeah. so crazy to say for Jake DeBrusque. <laughs> I he mean needs a, he needs to see he he's having a lost season in Boston right now. He needs a scene change. He's a good player, but he needs a scene change. And if that scene is Buffalo, that's not gonna help. And it's no, no, and and and, and and look, I, and I still don't think it's a far cry to think that Jack Eichel might be elsewhere after at the end of this season. Yeah, absolutely. Know, so Boston needs some, but Boston needs another player on that second line after the you know the uh, the pasta uh, Bergeron and uh, and Marchand line. So uh, this yeah. is a team that 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 you know. I mean, look, we, for the past couple of years we've been saying it's Boston's year. It's Boston's year. It's Boston. You know, this is they're the team to be. Right now, it seems like to me when it comes to the Bruins, they seem like the team that. Uh, after Washington and Pittsburgh, they're going to be the next window to start closing. So um, they need to try to make a move at the deadline at this point to maybe not just maybe not solidify a playoff spot because I think they're going to they're, they're pretty comfortable at this yeah. point. But uh, to, to make a deep playoff run, they're going to need somebody else in there. Yeah, no, I agree, Ian. I think that Taylor Hall is. I think Boston is the top suitor. As I mentioned earlier, I was three days ago. I was certain he Paul Mary was going to Boston. Now that he didn't. I think that even makes Boston even hungrier to try to get Taylor Hall, try to get that forward that gets on that second line that gives David Krejci that help that he desperately needs. He, he, he's practically alone on that line right now. So he needs the help. I think Taylor Hall would be a perfect fit there. I think it makes a lot of sense. I think Jake DeBrusque would likely be the piece that goes back or unless I, or if Buffalo's didn't rush to just get him out of there, they might be able to keep Jake DeBrusque in that matter. So, and yeah. it might just take a couple of draft picks because Bu- Buffalo is by nowhere near ready to be taking on roster players. They need draft picks. They need to rebuild again, but they need to yeah. do it. And it, right. so, and Joey, if I may segue to another topic, of here course, in NHL. You know, I mean, I know you and I can't stand them, but they are the other local team. We can't leave them. We can't leave them out here because they are in an interesting position. The New York Rangers are. They are very. They are in a very interesting predicament. They're not. They're not necessarily in the point where they need to sell, nor should they sell. But they're not necessarily buyers either. They're kind of in a weird middle where it's like yeah. the progress is on pause. Ian. Is this the de- a deadline for the Rangers to just stand pat, not do a thing? That's a good segue. That's I mean, a very good segue. Segue. Um, 
Yeah, I, 100%. I, I don't think they're going to go out there and do anything. I don't think they're going to try to sell any pieces. And if they did, I think it would be anything. It would be something very small. Um, you know, I, thought, I was shocked when Brendan I mean, Lemieux yeah, the youngest of Brendan Lemieux trade. Yeah, but I mean, apparently he wanted. Apparently he wanted out. So I mean, I mean, maybe besides the Devils after the trade. Now, I mean, they're the. I mean, they're the youngest team in hockey for a reason. Um, I, I, like the I told you guys, the second youngest team. The, <laughs> the second youngest team. The, the, these are the two youngest teams in in, in the hockey world right now. It can't. Yeah. Possibly, it really can't get younger. It's hard to do. But I think for the Rangers, the key for them is going to be next year. Um, they've got $12 million coming off the books. The Girardi money is finally off the books. Uh, more of the Lundquist money is off the books. And then I think uh, the uh, Shattenkirk money is all, is all the way off the books now, too. So um, that's going to give them a lot more money to play with. Um, I don't know in terms of when you look at the free agent market for next year. I still think they are inkling on Eichel. I, I, I'd be shocked if they weren't at this point because when you, even though they, they are so loaded – uh, with forwards in their top six, um, it, it just seems like this team still needs one more. There's, uh, there's, there's definitely room for Jack Eichel on that roster, and there's definitely, there's definitely players that can be moved back to the bottom six right now. Yes, oh, hundred percent. And I think for them, it's, it's right now trying to get an Eichel-like player along with adding more to uh, that defense with guys like Lindgren and Fox, because um, you know, finally Brendan Smith's contract's coming off the books and. Um, and I already mentioned Girardi's old cap hit. You know, he's getting paid by the Rangers to to, to be on the bench at this point in Buffalo. So it's um, I think for the for the Rangers, it's it's really finding that one more elite score um, and adding to, adding depth on on the defensive side because right now it's it's Adam Fox, Ryan Lindgren, and Keandre Miller. And after that, um, I'm not sure exactly where the Rangers turn to next. Um. Another thing, too, fellas, is is that just want to, uh, according to our friends at Cap Friendly, uh, Dan Girardi still has two more years. Oh, he uh, does. He has two more years at one 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 one, one million one hundred eleven thousand one hundred eleven dollars uh, is his cap hit uh, in in a buyout or a, his buyout hit until twenty two twenty three. The only player that comes off the book. Uh, for the New York Rangers is Ryan Spooner, who is currently holding them back for three hundred thousand uh, dollars. And then Kevin Shattenkirk's hit drops from six million eighty three thousand to one point four three million for the next two years. Uh, Henrik Lundqvist's cap, uh, or excuse me, buyout hit of five point five million drops from the aforementioned number to one point five million. And that will clear up roughly about nine million in cap space heading into next year. The Rangers are in a very good spot. I personally believe. I want to kind of answer that question from you, Deluca. And I think that this is a team that right now they were not sub. I don't think they expected to be in this spot. And why would you make any moves, especially when you're still growing? And right now, you just take the L for this year. Can you yeah. win? Can you can you compete with the big dogs? I don't think so. No, no. Yeah, no, no, no. The Rangers did. No, the the Rangers did that, that's the problem. And I'm sorry to jump in on there on you, Rob. The problem is, is the fact that because of the return to play and the, and adding more teams to the Stanley Cup playoffs last year gave a lot of Ranger fans a false sense of security. Yes. Thinking that that maybe the year for the Rangers was coming a year earlier. And so we could get excited, especially after getting the lottery pick and getting Lafreniere in the draft. So I think the idea was was the hope that 2021 was going to be the year where we saw that step forward. I think we're seeing that step forward. It's nice to see that Zabanajad finally got going, but 21-22 is 
Um, I think the year for um, David Quinn and, and Jeff Gordon um, and, and that Rangers organization to finally get back to the playoffs. Yeah, and not only that, too, I think also that next year for David Quinn as well, um, that is a telling year. You better come through or yeah. you're out on 34th Street. Seriously. Amen, Joey. I mean, look, this guy, to me, this guy is not a great coach. I don't know. He's a good coach. Nope. Nope. He's specific. He's a college. He was a college coach before this for a reason. Yes. Um, He's in in over his head. A hundred percent. Yeah. There's no doubt about it. Um, But at the end of two periods of play, the New York Rangers uh, lead the New York Islanders two to one, uh, courtesy of uh, courtesy of Alexi Lafreniere. Yep. And also, uh, let's see who else, uh, Blackwell, and then for the Islanders, and let's the the emergence of this kid, (laughs) he's not supposed to be anything more than a bottom six player, and he's scoring at at will here. I I didn't even know who Colin Blackwell was when even when he scored, uh, uh, I think he had one of the first Ranger goals of the season, and I was like, who is Colin Blackwell? And well, yeah, people are learning it now, (laughs) honestly, right now. If you asked me who the best player on the Rangers was, my answer, bar none, would be Adam Fox. Yes. Oh, my God. Adam Fox is already an elite player. He is my Norris Trophy winner. He's probably not going to win it because that's just how this stupid league works. It's probably going to go to someone like Drew Doughty because reasons. But – on it, but the the the, uh, the there's nobody who's having a better season for the Norris Trophy than Adam Fox. It's it is unreal how good this kid. He is a kid. He is what? He's 22 years old, Ian. I believe. Well, he came, what? What? He came over in the Brady Shea trade. Um, right. But he is not old. He's a kid. And I mean, he, could you imagine thinking trading? I mean, when you look at the, and, and I know we're getting off onto a Rangers tangent here, but that's okay. Um, when you think about. No, it's okay. It's all right. I mean, look, I know we're it's not a local team. It's a local team. It's a local team. We can do what we want. As I tell Larry, when it comes to the Mets, I, I, I am a, I am, I, I want my teams to win, but I am a optimistic realist. Like, like if my teams aren't playing well, I'm going to be honest and say so. Um, you know, I have, I have a very close friend as well who's a diehard Ranger fan like me, and you know, we'll, we'll sit there and we'll, you know, beat up on David Quinn and the Rangers not playing well every single night, but, um. When you think about the trades that the Rangers have made um, in recent memory um, and who they've gotten in return, you think of the, uh, you know, back when they made the trade that, that brought Ryan McDonough over here to the Rangers, and you think of Adam Fox and the Brady Shea trade. Uh, clearly, the Rangers won that trade. So, um, you know, the Rangers do, seem to do a good job in the trade market, but um, I'm very excited for 21 22. And I think this offseason for the Rangers is paramount, um, especially after. Um, seeing where they are this year and where they really need to be next year. Yeah, Ian, I agree. I think that, honestly, the the Rangers are in that position where they should just stand pat. Because, mm-hmm. look, they did the rebuild. They did the rebuild right. They're re- they're almost ready to go. They, they, they're, they're a year away. It really is coming down to, like, one to two players and, and one year, possibly. Yeah, so, if they, I mean, look, if they go out there and get an Eichel, and, yeah, and, there's and, no reason to say that they won't be back in the playoff race this year. No, I mean they they, 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 were, they were close before the COVID pause last year. They, they were on a hot streak. They were the hottest team in hockey going into the pause. It killed their momentum, so they were fortunate enough to be included in the playoff. But this that this team did their rebuild right. They figured it out quickly, and they are they are essentially ready to go. And in a year, I think we will talk about them being a serious playoff contender. 
and I think it's going it's it's going to be party time at MSG soon. And honestly, it, that's why I think for them, you stand pat right now. You, you don't yep. don't mess with anything. They Guys, just need they just need they just need help on the blue line, most importantly. But yes, go ahead, Joey. Guys, let's uh, let's keep moving forward here in the hockey world. Um, you know, uh, something that we have to bring up here from our friends at TSN, their trade bait hockey board. Uh, they have Mike Hoffman at number three, Nick Felino at number four, and a very, very, very unfamiliar player to some. Uh, at one point towards the end of the LA Kings years of being dominant, there was a player named Alex Iafalo who began to climb the ranks and has very quietly worked his way up to number five onto TSN's hockey uh, trade bait board. Guys, where do you see Nick Felino going? You know, it's hard to That's associate a tough one. That's it's, a tough it's one. hard to associate him much like guys like Azajak or Green or anything like that. It's hard to associate Nick Felino to anywhere other than Columbus. It's true. So I, I mean, it, uh. The I wouldn't even be surprised. I wouldn't even be surprised if he doesn't move. Yeah. He loves it. He loves it there. Yeah. He loves being in Columbus. I, gotta, <laughs> I wonder if he's going to just stick around. We'll have to right. see. But I mean, Columbus obviously isn't in a good place right now. Yeah. They're, they're struggling. Coach John Tortorella may or may not be on the way out. That's unknown. Yeah. But it's, it's a rough situation there, yeah. but. Nick Felino. I mean, look, he'll be you if he is traded, he's gonna be useful wherever he goes. He's still got a lot of yeah. good hockey left in him. He's a he's an elite forward, he's a great player, good locker room guy. I, anyone that tries to put in an offer, it's a the problem is he's a high offer too. So no you gotta wonder if anyone's willing to pay for it because right. he is going to be expensive. And you're also getting the leadership as well from him as well. Yep, you're get you're getting a veteran presence, you're getting a presence like no other. And I think that's exactly why it's go it's going to be tough. But if he goes somewhere, he will thrive. Yeah, and and to and to go to your dad's point, uh, Rob Senior. Well, Mister Deluca, I have to give you this here. What team do you gentlemen believe will take the cup this season? I'm going to tell you something. I want to start this off here, and that is not only a tough question and one of the hardest things to really come up with because once the teams leave their divisions, right? We don't know how well these teams are going to play against That's true. a Carolina yeah. where, yes, the Islanders or the Rangers are familiar with them, right? Or the Bruins are familiar Absolutely. with the Hurricanes in the Atlantic Division and in the Metro on a normal day or pre-COVID or post-COVID right, right. or normal, whatnot. Yeah, no, normal day, yes. But the same thing would now go with a Central Division of Chicago playing a San Jose. And yes, San Jose actually is in the is in the the is in the playoff hunt as well. Can't believe we're saying well, this. Yeah, have, you seen the, the, have you seen the Pacific Division? That is very true. I mean, but again, but again, when you have the Pacific Division or you even have the North Division where Toronto is really leading and they're just wiping everybody away, the small sample size, how can you really come up with a true cup winner? When you're not really going, you know, 500 miles, you're only going 500 miles west for, let's say, the Rangers are only going as far west as Pittsburgh. Yeah. And they're going as far east as Boston. It really, or, or as far south as Washington. So we really don't know, or as far north as Buffalo. 
We don't really know who. You really just say Buffalo and playoffs in the same sentence? Yeah. No. I'm, no. 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 I said Buffalo in terms of the distance, not not playoffs. The We're distance. talking playoffs and cup here, though. What is Buffalo? And, and yes, I am. But I'm saying that the but exactly what you have brought to my attention. Have the Islanders win? To any other team except Buffalo and New Jersey. Did you or did you not tell me that, DeLuca? Of course I did. Because exactly. Have you? Have you? Exa- what? Have you? Yes, we have. Most against of your Washington. Wins are against, most of your wins are against us in Buffalo, though. You have, you have that is true. wins, which is That is true. Win. That but is 100% true. But what I percent are those two teams. But what I do know is, what I do know is, is that it's very difficult to come up with even any winner because you don't know how these teams are going to play out once they leave their their respective divisions because yeah. they have not played them this year. I guess a good follow-up, Joey, to that would be, maybe to paraphrase Mr. DeLuca's question, would be um, what division do you think maybe the Stanley Cup champion might come out of? Yeah, yeah. yeah or which four teams are going to the conference finals, I guess. I guess you could still call them conference finals. Semifinals, I guess. Which four teams are going to come out of each division? Maybe like, it's tough. It's, it's very, it's very, very tough. Because even sure. even though you've seen these opponents fifty times all se- like you've seen yeah. these opponents eight times per season for this season, yeah. you've seen them eight times. Yeah, it's still the it's still the NHL playoffs. It's still the anything's possible. That you don't know what the heck is coming. But this so, format, though, guys, is is, is just set. it's gotten to a point where it's just so tough. Because right. you're seeing these opponents eight times a year. There's really no seeing other teams from around the league until potentially the playoff. And it's similar to baseball last year. Yeah, it's just it's, yeah. It's, I understand we're, we're in a difficult time. I mean, we're still in the in the midst of a public health crisis, and um, I think you know they made the right move that the NHL did, and so did Major League Baseball in keeping travel restriction. You know, keeping a travel ban. But um, I think I just think going forward, hopefully, you know. Hopefully for next season for hockey, um, we're back to a little bit more. Yeah, no, let's get back. Let's get back. Plan. We we don't know what the plan with Canada is. So I mean, at this point, right. it, it all it all depends on a lot Canada. of question marks. But hopefully, well, hopefully, at least the American teams can. I think they there could be a scenario where they essentially let the American teams get back to a normal schedule, fly all over the country, depending on where we're at by that point. Which I think, which I think is fair to say right now, we're in a very good place. So. Yeah, teams there's are definitely a lot of high hopes back. here in yeah. that amazing country. Well, so, I this think, is yeah. this is this is what Deluca. I'm going to let you finish in a second. This is also something that we've heard rumblings about as well in the beginning of the season, where the Canadian teams that make the playoffs could maybe reside in some buildings in America where teams are. To where teams are eliminated from playoff contention, where, for instance, Toronto could reside in Buffalo, yep. or Winnipeg could potentially reside in Minnesota. Yeah. No, uh, things, do. you know, places like that. Vancouver, obviously, or or even Edmonton would have to come down maybe to Vegas. Uh, we don't know exactly the whole thing. Play uh, the, we play, won't know. Hey, play in the Seattle Stadium. Well, uh, if, if that's oh. ready. And I don't think the key arena is is ready yet, showing my age there. Uh, climate Energy Arena or Climate Pledge yeah, Arena, I think it, it is. It it'll forever be it'll forever be known as Key Arena to me. Home you need ice and seats. It's all you need. Home Seattle. of the Seattle Supersonics. That's that's a, that's that's really it, uh, guys. 
let's finish this off here. Let's finish off this show, guys. We're ending a, a few minutes early here. Um, we want to give our best wishes to former NHLer Alexi Emelin, who really uh, was a dominant force in the Montreal uh, run towards the Eastern Conference Final in 2014 against the New York Rangers. They did not make it to the Cup Final that year, but he was a big force uh, on that back line. Um, alongside, uh, if I'm not mistaken, I think PK Subban was, uh, was, was still there and, uh, yeah. and all those yeah. guys yeah, and, and, and Nathan Beaulieu, uh, they, th- those, those guys were there. Yeah. Darren was there as well. Yep. Yep. yep exactly. And, uh, Max Pacioretty, uh, Thomas Vanek was, yep, was there as well. Uh, so Alexi Emlin is getting a liver transplant. Uh, there was some, uh, some, some hard times for him because, uh, there was a time where uh, just a few weeks ago that he was not doing well at all. Uh, his liver was really failing. He was going through organ, multiple organ failure, but now thankfully uh, he will be getting a liver transplant and good Lord willing, able to continue his life um, safely and uh, healthy. So really good things. Most likely his hockey career is over, we would say, uh, but now he gets to live his life healthy uh, with a brand new liver. So thank goodness for that. Alexi Emlin, we do wish you the best of luck moving forward. Um, guys, let's finish off with our kudos here. Rob DeLuca, let's start with you with uh, with our kudos second. Segment. Yeah, sure thing. I mean, look, we're, while we're on the subject of this, of bad health, unfortunately, we got to give our well wishes out to the entire Vancouver Canucks team. I mean, they are in a horrid, a horror story battle. With, yes, with the COVID nineteen, they've got they've got the Brazil uh, the Brazilian strain, which yeah. is which is which is reportedly the most contagious strain out there. Five players needed IV needed to have doctors come to their house to give them IVs. It's a very very scary and sticky situation right now in Vancouver. I hope that I hope that everyone recovers, gets back gets back healthy, gets back, everyone is safe. And hopefully, hopefully the Vancouver season is not over. Unfortunately, that is probably still on the table. The NHL is optimistic that they could return late next week. I think that's very optimistic. I Maybe think a so little too. too optimistic, but I, but I like that. They're not ultimately just trying to cut their season off. I mean, granted, they really weren't in the playoff race anyway, but you never want to see it uh, a team season end like this. It, it, it doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel good. But just well wishes to every single player on the Vancouver Canucks. Get better soon, guys. You're loved by the National Hockey League, by the fans, the community. There's 21 players, by the way. We just saw it here on NHL.com. 21 players and four staff members that's, who have that's been entire, diagnosed. That's the entire team. That's, that's literally the entire yeah. team, the entire roster. Yeah. So, uh, and and from from what we've seen with these uh, with these COVID lists, uh, it is we see the whole the whole team on, on that list. Uh, it is definitely something that is a scary situation. Uh, we don't ex- obviously with Vancouver having a uh, not really a, a actually a very very underwhelming season. Uh, they're not. They weren't expected to make the playoffs anyway, but um, they are hoping to conclude their season out. And according to multiple sources here on NHL, uh, they are looking to finish their season, and that's what they want to do. And it looks as if that the NHL will allow them if time uh, it allows them, and also if most importantly health allows them. Ian, your your kudos for the night. Yeah, I actually have two. Um, my first kudos goes out to uh, Trey Mancini and the Baltimore Orioles organization. Yeah. Um, if anybody has not had a chance yet to pull up the replay of his first at bat against the Boston Red Sox yesterday, uh, you know it's it's, it's tear jerking. Um, I mean, he's defeated stage three colon cancer. 
um, came back and uh, just a standing ovation for him at Camden Yards uh, yesterday um, at the Orioles home opener. Um, so just wishing, uh, and obviously the Orioles are off to a nice start. I mean, no one had them at four and three. We spoke about that at the top of the show and um, you know, good things, good things for the O's right now. I hope it keeps going well. And then the second piece of that, I didn't put it on the prompt, but I I wanted to mention it um, because I didn't mention it uh, last week was I want to congratulate Adelphi university head women's basketball coach, now former um, Adelphi university head women's basketball coach, Missy Traversi um, on being named the new head women's basketball coach at army West point. Yeah. Um, Her and, um, the best of luck with the cadets and, and excuse me, the black Knights and uh, just wishing her, I mean, it's her first uh, D one head job and uh, just wishing her all the best of luck um, in the Patriot league. I hope she makes yeah. it first year so. in the Patriot league. And you know what, Ian, that is a fantastic segue into mine. Yes, because it is. it is because you know what army West point usually plays uh, St. Francis, Brooklyn in women's basketball. So I wouldn't be surprised if we do see a return trip last year. We saw army uh, two years ago, 2019. We saw army come down here uh, to Brooklyn Heights. And then in 2018, they had gone up and vice versa as in years past. But my final kudos goes to my St. Francis, Brooklyn Terriers. Uh, the men's soccer team, they are regular season champions. Uh, they finished off. Uh, actually their season, if I'm not mistaken, uh, it not, not even if I'm not mistaken, it's, uh, it's, it's concludes on Monday and then on Friday night, uh, or actually rather Friday afternoon, uh, they will play a to be determined team. Most likely will be LIU. We don't know yet who it will be, but the winner of that will be going to North Carolina. And, uh, and if St. Francis Brooklyn wins, I'll be down in North Carolina with the boys. So, uh, a fantastic season uh, led by El Medi Yusufi, a uh, fantastic Rom- uh, uh, Moroccan player and a speedster. Uh, so really, he is probably one of the best players on the pitch. And uh, it's going to be a great, great week uh, in NEC soccer. So really good things there moving forward uh, for Tom Giovato's St. Francis Brooklyn Terriers. Guys, uh, let's keep moving forward here. It is done. It is done here. Uh, tomorrow night, East, uh, the Essential Wrestling Podcast, WrestleMania Special, 12 p.m. Eastern time right here on the Eastern Observer. Also at 11 a.m. tomorrow, as we did say, the New York Professional Scouts Association and the Eastern Observer partnership continues with episode number 51 featuring Colorado Rockies Northeast Scouting Supervisor Mike Garlotti. He is the one who found former outfielder and the late Angel Echeverria. Uh, yes, may he rest in peace as well. He did pass tragically last year due to a head injury that he suffered uh, in his home due to a stomach bug. Uh, we don't know what the deal was. It was just his time to go. Uh, but tune in tomorrow, 11 a.m. Eastern Daylight Time here on the Eastern Observer. Ladies and gentlemen, one final time, Ian Schreier, Rob DeLuca, I'm Joey Jarzinka, And for all of us here at the Blackjack Media Group, we'll see you next time.